speaking to his disciples, said in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, When my spirit comes upon you, you will receive my power. And the, the Greek word is dunamos, English word translated dynamite. You will receive power when my spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses here and around the world. Now, I, I want to suggest to you that um, as a pastor, as lay people, and we find ourselves up against it. And um, this is the word of the Lord. It's not by your power nor by your strength, but by God's Spirit. It's God's Spirit working in His people. And it is often at our point of frustration um, where we hear that message. It's conveyed. It gets from our mind to our heart when we get so frustrated and so up against it. God promised us spiritual power, the Holy Spirit. Do we realize that Jesus spent more time teaching about... Um, to his disciples about the Holy Spirit than any other subject. Jesus spent more time talking to his disciples about the Holy Spirit than any other subject. And the second most talked about subject was prayer. And these two subjects are interrelated. It is the baptism of the fullness of the Holy Spirit that sets us free to see God begin to work in our own individual lives and in the church's life and begin to help us in these problems. It's not by your might, it's not by your power, but it's by the Spirit of God. Not only was Jesus filled with the Spirit himself, but he also gave us an urgent promise again and again concerning the fullness of the Spirit for his disciples. And I, I had you turn to Luke chapter 11, verse 13. Would someone like to read that passage of Scripture one more time? Luke chapter 11, verse 13. Whoever's there, just read it out. Luke 11:13. Notice. How much more will the Holy Spirit give to those people who ask Him? Who ask Him? You have not, Jesus said, because you ask not. If your heavenly Father, if your Father, who is not perfect like your heavenly Father, asks you for a loaf of bread, will not your heavenly Father? give you his spirit in his fullness if you ask for it in your life. Jesus makes it clear. He makes it as clear as a, as a fresh mountain spring water that God the Father is delighted in giving us his Holy Spirit if we will but ask for it. Now I want you to turn with me to, to Ephesians 5 verse 18. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 18. Ephesians 5 verse 18. And this is the injunction. This is what Paul says. He says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, it's interesting because we know that alcohol, when you're drunk with alcohol, you're being controlled by a, a substance beyond yourself. And this is the contrast that he's using. He says, don't be drunk with wine, don't be controlled with wine, but be filled, be controlled with the Holy Spirit. Now, Paul doesn't mince his words here. He says, quit 
living like the devil. We read all those particular passages of scriptures in Ephesians chapter 5. All that first part, he says, you know, don't give in to carousing, don't swear, don't cuss, don't live in carnality. All of those passages of scripture. And then it says, though, he turns in a complete corner and he says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Isn't that interesting, the contrast there? Don't 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 be a carnal person. Don't live in. Don't be a carnal Christian. He commands, be filled with the Spirit. It contrasts. There is life in the Spirit, and there is death when it comes to carnality and when it comes to willful sin. It leads to death. That's what he says. He commands us, be filled with the Spirit. Now, um, Greek scholars insist that we note at least three important things about this, this structure of this particular statement. And that's in your outline right there. We, I don't know if you wanted an extra outline, but we've got them right back there. Um, okay, okay. Um, first of all, the instruction to be filled with the Spirit is in the imperative mood. Now we're looking at, again, at Ephesians Chapter 5, verse 18. Do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, Greek scholars will tell us that the instruction to be filled with the Spirit is in the imperative mood. What are you talking about? It's in the imperative mood. Well, this means that when the Apostle Paul says, be filled with the Spirit, it is not a mere human suggestion. He's not saying, well, if you want to be filled with the Spirit, be filled with the Spirit. He's not saying, you know, you can take it or leave it. He is commanding. It's in the imperative mood. He said, it's a commandment. Be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. It's not a human suggestion. It's a command. And it's only through the baptism of the Spirit that we are cleansed of this carnal nature that we're given the power in our lives. Jesus Christ died on the cross and He resurrected again. And Paul says that resurrection power is available for Christian people today to live a victorious Christian life and to help us. It's not by my might nor by my power, but by my Spirit, says God. So he says, be filled with the Spirit. It's not a human suggestion. It's a commandment. And it's the only way that we can know and have a meaningful uh, Christian life is to have God's power working inside of us through the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, being filled with the Spirit is not simply an experience for pastors and not, not just an experience for evangelists, but it's for every Christian. God intends for every believer to be filled with the Spirit. It's a command. Be filled with the Spirit. Now, in Acts chapter 1 and in Acts chapter 2, in the upper room, the apostles who were saved already were filled with the Spirit. Notice I said they were saved by the Spirit. They were saved by the Spirit. And then they became filled with the Spirit in Acts chapter 1 and 2. Now, we have all these miraculous signs happening. So many people get caught up on the miraculous signs that were happening that day. But what we read in Scripture is, is that when you're filled with the Spirit, you have power to witness. You have power to witness. That's the evidence of being Spirit-filled. You have power to witness, power to live a holy life, to have the fruit of the Spirit in your life, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness. That is the evidence of being Spirit-filled, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and the power to witness. Our charismatic brothers, they often get caught up in all of those signs and all those wonders and saying that these things have to accompany those things. That's not true. In fact, if anything, we read in the original Greek language there that they spoke in other languages, not in static utterances. That's the only way that you can read Acts chapter 2. Well, we read about this special 
thing that happened to these people that were saved. They were spirit-filled, already saved, and then they had this experience. And the Bible says, the context tells us, they were baptized. That means being immersed. They were overflowing with God's Spirit inside of their lives. In Acts chapter 8, the Samaritan Christians received the fullness of the Spirit. In Acts chapter 9, Paul, the new convert, received and was filled with the Spirit. In Acts chapter 10, Cornelius and his own household was filled with the Spirit. Down through church history to the present, the Moravians testified to being filled with the Spirit. Having experience after salvation, John and Charles Wesley testified to being filled with the Spirit after salvation. John Bunyan, the author of Pilgrim's Progress, testified to having experience after salvation where the fullness of God was in his life. Charles Finney, the great revivalist, talked about having experience where this fullness of God was working in his life. D.L. Moody, the great evangelist, talked about having the second work of grace, this God's spirit in fullness working in his life. Even Billy Graham has testified to having that experience in his own life. All of these individuals have testified that after they became Christians, born of the spirit, they went on and they were filled with the spirit. So this is in the imperative tone here, be filled with the Spirit. It's a command of God to be filled with the Spirit. The second thing I want you to notice about in the original Greek language here is the instruction to be filled with the Spirit is in the passive voice. It's in the passive voice. You say, what are you talking about, Pastor Ron? This means that it is an experience that we give consent to. In other words, the Bible says our Heavenly Father wants to fill us with His Spirit. Didn't we read that earlier in Luke chapter 11? That God uh, wants to fill His people with His presence. And it's, but it's something that we have to give consent to. And it's not a thing that we do ourselves. Being with, filled with the Spirit of God is a divine operation. We say that we're saved by grace. Being filled with the Spirit is the grace of God. It happens through God's grace, God's unmerited favor bestowed upon his individuals and people. It's a gift. The gift of the presence, the fullness of the Spirit is a gift like the gift of salvation. It's a gift. It's not something that we earn. It's not something that we deserve. In this imperative, uh, in, in this um, passive voice, he's saying you give consent to it. You believe it. You ask for it. You see it in the Bible. You read it and you say, Lord, I give all of myself to you. I want you to give all of yourself to me. That's a simple prayer, isn't it? I give all of myself to you. You give all of yourself to me. How much more complex, how much more simple could you make it? After salvation, I give myself completely and totally you. And it's the Spirit's feeling is a work of divine grace in our needy human hearts. Now, it's not something that we can hype up. It's not something that we can create emotion about. Sometimes people do get emotional because they're carrying a heavy load or heavy burden. But it's something that's of God's grace. And we give ourselves completely to him. We consent. We surrender ourselves. Years ago, I read in the Modesto Bee, which is the leading paper in the San Joaquin, one of the leading papers in the San Joaquin area in California, Central California. I read years ago that the famous movie star Elizabeth Taylor, she's dead now, but this was years ago. I read that Elizabeth Taylor needed to have surgery to remove a benign tumor in her brain. It was non-cancerous. And so they went into her brain and they removed this mass that was there and uh, of um, a benign tumor. Any people who have had major surgery, heart, brain, or whatever it is, 
we would be foolish. We would be foolish enough to operate on ourselves. Isn't that true? We, we can't operate on ourselves. No, we, we put our trust in and we put our faith in the hands of a competent surgeon. The same with this idea and what God wants to do in our lives. To be filled with the Spirit, we put our hands, we put ourselves in God's hands, so to speak. We say, Lord, I give all myself to you. You give all yourself to me. We put our hands in a competent physician, our Lord. It's not something that we work up. It's not something that we do. It's, it's uh, again, it's something that we give consent to, that we believe that the Bible teaches. And we say, Lord, I want all of you in my life. When we put our trust in him, the Bible says that he promises to fill us with the Spirit. It's something that the Lord does. The third thing I want you to note about this particular passage of this verse here in Ephesians uh, 5.18 is that this instruction to be filled with the Spirit is in the perfect present tense. Now, we said that it was in, in the imperative mood. That means it was a commandment. We've said that it's in the passive voice. That means that we have to give consent to it. And now I want you to notice it, it also is in the present perfect tense. Now, what are you talking about? This means that the action will need to be repeated. You say, that doesn't make sense. That it is continual. No, it says, continue to be filled with the Spirit. Continue to be filled. You say, Pastor Ron, are we leaky, are we leaky vessels? Are we leaky people? You might want to say. Well, keep on being filled with Spirit. Keep on keeping on. Be filled with Spirit. You say, Pastor Ron, I don't understand. When you're filled with Spirit, why does a person need um, um, successive infillings of God's Spirit? Why do they need to? Why do they continue to flow in the Spirit? What What, what are you talking about here? Well, I have a per, I have an imperfect analogy, but this is what Scripture says. Once you're baptized, once you're filled with Spirit, God's inside of us. He's inside of us. However, the Scripture says that we can restrict the flow of the Holy Spirit working in our lives. You say, what are you talking about? Well, I want you to look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. Go back, go back. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. And I want you to see what Scripture says right there. What does it say? It says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. It says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 19, it says, don't put out the Spirit's fire. You say, what in the world is the Apostle Paul talking about when he says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit, do not put out the Spirit's fire. The grieving and the quenching of the Holy Spirit are not unpardonable sins. They're not. However, when we grieve or when we quench the Holy Spirit, in other words, if I continue in willful sin, if I lie, if I cheat, if I do something that's wrong, I know as a Christian person I'm being disobedient to God, whatever it may be, the Bible says it's like a spigot. Imagine God's Spirit is working through me and God's Spirit is flowing through me. And again, these are imperfect analogies, but God's Spirit is working through me. I've got the spigot turned on, but I begin to be disobedient. I begin to you know, not keep short accounts with God. I don't confess my sins and I let something go on and I get involved in willful sin. And it's like a spigot. All of a sudden, grieving, quenching, the Spirit begins to be quenched, begins to flow. It's like a spigot. I begin to turn it off a little bit, a little bit. I, it was flowing, it's flowing, 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 but I, I'm like a spigot turning it off. And I begin to quench and grieve the Holy Spirit. And God's Spirit is no longer flowing through me. It's like a, just a little trickle, you might want to say. 
But there's a remedy. There's a remedy for quenching a grieving spirit. It's called repentance. Repentance. Lord, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. If we confess our sins, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to purify us from all unrighteousness. Fill me anew. Give me a fresh anointing in my life. I don't want to quench. I don't want to grieve your Holy Spirit. I don't want to do that. Would you bow your heads with me?